We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. This is a special NFL draft edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast, and we are joined by Ryan Roberts, the director of scouting at the NFL Draft Bible, also one of the hosts of the Locked On Irish Podcast. So, Ryan, uh, thanks again for being with us. Yesterday, as you see, Ryan's got his nice little Notre Dame shirt on because he is a Notre Dame fan like me, um, but also a very good analyst and a very fair analyst. So we are going to dive in today to talk about Notre Dame's draft prospects for the 2021 NFL Draft. So I think it's fair to say, Ryan, that there's really only four Notre Dame, former Notre Dame defenders that are really draft candidates this year. That would be Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa at linebacker, Dalen Hayes at defensive end, Adi Takumbo Ogundiji at defensive end, and then Nick McLeod at corner. Would you say that's accurate as far as the, the legitimate draft prospects for this class? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with, you know, Kyle Hamilton only being a sophomore, we're going to talk a whole lot about him next year. The two yeah. defensive linemen, Heinish and Myron going back. Those are the guys. And I, I know, you know, it's not the most depth of all time, obviously for a draft class, but I mean, right at top with a guy like Jeremiah, lot to be excited about. So still a really fun class and, and a lot of things to digest on this end too. And obviously, depending on how you look at it, it's not a big draft class. And you'd say, well, that means that's pretty good for the Notre Dame defense in 2021. That's <laughs> very true. That's very so, true. A lot coming back. I'm curious to see who we're going to be talking about next year. Like, our, I, we're obviously going to be talking about Kyle Hamilton and, you know, Drew White, if he can be a late round guy. And then obviously the two defensive tackles. But I'm really curious to see if we're going to be talking about guys like Isaiah Foskey 
mm-hmm. you know, some of those potential breakout players. So that's what's going to make this uh, spring and summer and next season fun for Notre Dame. But today we are going to focus on the draft. And so let's kick things off, Ryan, by talking about Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. And we're going to dive into his game and we're going to talk about where you see him in the draft. But I thought it was interesting to point out that the last time you're, you're 29 years old, right? You're cool with me telling everybody that, right? Yep. That means the last time that Notre Dame had an off ball linebacker get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, you were not even born. <laughs> I'm in my 40s. I was four years old. That was 1982 when Bob Crable, an off ball linebacker, was drafted in the, the first round. Now, you and I talked about this off the air. If Jalen Smith doesn't get hurt against Ohio State, he's not only in the first round, he's a top five to 10 pick, right? Absolutely. But it's still, even if you include him, that's not a lot of linebackers going in round one. So Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa is getting a lot of round one love. When you have broken him down over the last couple of years, obviously, strength number one is he's from Virginia. As I've established on this podcast for a long time, that's where the real ballers are from. No offense. Uh, but uh, when you when you dive into the tape, what have you what do you see from him, and what are what are the strengths he has as a player, but also more so, how does his game translate to the National Football League? Yeah, I think it's a great conversation, especially with the you know the long you know sequence of linebackers for Notre Dame not being selected in the first round. I think partly that's due to the fact of like, hey, this you know the position. It's. I think it's unfair to a degree because I still value a dominant second level defender. But to to a degree, linebackers are becoming devalued in how the game is played today in the NFL. You really need a special player that can impact the pass game and the run game equally. There's not those two down thumpers as much as they were once were. But when you look at a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, obviously former safety, moving into that rover position, and. Is it fair to call him actually a linebacker? That's, I think, the starting point because he's playing. I mean, he is playing an overhang position, which in the NFL doesn't really exist anymore. Because usually you're taking that Sam linebacker, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna flex him in between the tackle and the number two receiver in the apex. Like that's kind of like the spot that he's playing in the NFL now. You're taking that player out of the game in, mo- in most instances, and you're bringing in a nickel, right? So like that position is not very translatable. But what makes you so excited about a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is I think it goes into the positionless football moniker that Matt Rule is trying to really establish in, in the Carolina Panthers. Is he a great is he a perfect fit as a will linebacker? Maybe not. Is he a perfect fit as a strong safety? Maybe not. But what Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is athletically is a outstanding athlete in short spaces. He's shown the ability to play some man-to-man coverage. He's shown the closing speed to blitz from various spots he's shown just that closing speed in general to to really come up in short zones like there is so much to like and there's such a dynamic element to him I think that he is going to be heavily valued in the first round just because whether you want to try to label him again as a safety as a linebacker wherever you want I'm going to call him a dynamic second level defender and I'm going to figure out where he fits best and I know a lot of NFL teams are going to be scared a little bit just because is he a perfect fit in a, in a spot? But I think for a creative defensive coordinator, they are going to just be enthralled with the positionless type of, of aspect that Jeremiah brings to the game. It's similar to Isaiah Simmons last year out of Clemson. Now, obviously, different body types. Isaiah's a, a much longer guy, but it's the same kind of it's the same kind of profile. It's the same prototype. Those guys aren't going to fit perfectly into any spot, 
but you're going to put them on the second level of defense and you're going to take advantage of their athletic skill set and in different mismatch situations. Because in such a, a mismatch league that it has become now, guys that are able to play man-to-man against safeties, play man-to-man against uh, slot receivers, like those players that can eliminate those perceived matchup advantages, I think is so invaluable in this ever-evolving passing league. So when you look at a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, could there be a chance where maybe his talent grade and where he gets drafted are different? Because what I'm hearing from you is, and we've seen this in the NFL, I, I I think we saw this was Isaiah Simmons a little bit last year. Now he still went in the top 10, but went a little lower than a lot of people were projecting, and, and that was sort of that that knock on him. Do you do you see a scenario where like you could say, for example, where do you have him kind of, just from a pure talent standpoint, is he top? 10 top 15 top 20 top 25 where where do you kind of see him slotting in this draft just from a a pure talent player type of situation I, we have him as a top 20 player and i'm very okay. on board with the, with the conversation the, the spot that just keeps flashing to me i know they move back a couple spots with the playoffs but if he gets somehow gets to the cleveland browns i feel like mm-hmm. that's the floor to where he goes because they have a bunch of guys like the jacob phillips from lsu last year and mac wilson who are a little bigger body guys to have a guy like him that kind of couples with that size for me, the Cleveland Browns are the floor, but I think he's a top 20 player. Maybe the Oakland, uh, I keep saying Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders would be an absolute uh, dynamite fit, I think too. So I think top 20 player, probably the floor is the Cleveland Browns and worst case scenario. Do you think there's a scenario in which he could slide more because of what you talked about? There's going to be some, because let's be honest, right? What we're seeing in the NFL and in college to a degree, is offensively, there's a lot of these really young minds, mm-hmm. and they're innovative, and they're not stuck in the traditional, you have to play the game this way, this way, this way. We're not seeing that trend as much on defense. We're still seeing that, to me, there's still a lot of of older, been-in-the-league-a-while type of defensive coordinators. We're starting to see a little bit of an influx of some new blood, and I think a, a guy like Todd Bowles, you know, kind of being that middle ground between those two having success this year with, with Tampa Bay could help that. But do you think that there is still some of that in the NFL? Could that could that cause him to maybe fall? Are you concerned that maybe he might fall a little bit? Because let's just say the Browns are sitting there and you say that's the floor, but you and I both know if 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 somebody else falls that the Browns valued higher at a position, then that, that they're going to take that guy. That's usually how the draft board works. And so is, is because of that, that, not every team is willing to take a positionless football player. Is there a chance for a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, more than more a, a defensive end, a defensive tackle, a corner, to fall because of that? He doesn't necessarily have a here's the position you can plug him in and play. I, I think it's always possible. I, I think that there's, you know, you, you, I mean, it's a great point that you don't, you haven't seen that trend of young defensive minds as much as you've seen offensively. But I feel like in, in this stage, trying to keep up with those offensive minds. Like you need to change with the times, you know, or else you, you're going to get cast to the wayside. Like that's not like how you play. You can't get stuck in the mindset where this is what I've been doing for the longest time. And I don't care what offense mm-hmm. is doing. Cause that's how you're going to get beat. You know, every time mm-hmm. you, you need to really prey on matchups and be able to change with how the times are changing. You know, this isn't, where we're going to draft a big body linebacker that can't move in space. Like that guy just isn't as valuable anymore. So I think, and especially in this draft where we have Micah Parsons, who's an assumed top 10 pick out of Penn state. And there's a 
a lot of good linebackers. I really think it's one of the more underrated classes. I think the linebacker have a lot of guys like Nick Bolton from Missouri and Baron Browning from Ohio State. And there's a lot of dudes that you get really excited about, Zayvon Collins from Tulsa. But for me, there's a significant drop-off from number one, Micah Parsons, to the next guy. And I truly do believe that the NFL is going to value Jeremiah maybe as that second linebacker just because of what the upside is athletically. Because for like a Zayvon Collins, who's like that true – 4-3 Sam Backer that can come up and play some on-ball. And even a Nick Bolton who's a little undersized and maybe not the most rangy player of all time. Like Those guys are a little more limited than a guy like Jeremiah. I think a guy like Owusu Koromoa, the NFL really is going to value because although every defense is, defensive coordinator is not completely you know enthralled in the positionless football moniker, I do think that seeing a guy like him on the second level and ability to create mass matchups that are advantageous for your best um, best football, I think it's going to be ever. I think it's going to be very valuable, and I think that Jeremiah is. I, I would be very surprised if he dropped any further than top twenty five. To be honest, now kind of big picture when you look at a guy like Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa coming a year after Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, are those the kind of guys that can be sort of needle movers for the league in, in that? If you can invest a first-round pick in those guys and then use them in a way that's not traditional and then see them have success, I kind of view them as like potential door openers. You know what I mean? And there's there's a, there's going to be an influx of you know safeties that really aren't safeties that now can maybe find a home in the NFL that otherwise would have been without a position because they weren't necessarily safeties, but they also weren't linebackers. Do you think a guy like Jeremiah Wusu Kormo, and then of course the you know the year before with Isaiah Simmons, do you think they can be sort of game changers in the NFL? Not so much from a you've established that you think as a football player he's a game changer for the sixty minutes you know between be, between the sidelines and the end zones, but can he be sort of a a big picture needle mover for the league in that if he is successful, there's going to be a lot of teams that passed on him that said, boy, we we should have we need to now rethink the next time the next Jeremiah Wusu Koromo comes along. Yeah, I, I think they're changing the prototype, absolutely. I think this is where the NFL is going because we have seen, hey, defensive linemen, some of these defensive tackles who are these incredible athletes were at one point big body defensive end edge players that have gotten bigger and evolved into their body in this passing league. Defensive ends are more athletic than they ever have been, more flexible, longer athletes. We've seen the evolution of defensive back with cornerbacks in the nickel position the one position that has not developed as far as the defensive line and, and defensive backs to this to this instance in the NFL is the second level. It's the linebackers. That is still trying to figure it out and in this matchup league. I think that any player, and this is going to Jeremiah, what I think is one of his best strengths, any second-level defender, whether you're talking about your traditional linebacker or you're even talking about a nickel, if you want to couple them in, an overhang, whatever you want to call them, for those slot defenders and off-ball linebackers, for me, anybody that can play man-to-man -man coverage is going to be a huge asset and a huge bonus. And for me, I look at Jeremiah Wusukoromo with the ability to not only man up against some bigger slot receivers, some tight ends, some smaller slot receivers. Like we saw instances this year where that guy is out on an island against some of the quicker slot receivers that he's facing, and he's blanketing them. And for me, at worst, I think that he is a undersized Sam Backer in the vein of a Shaq Thompson, how they employ him in Carolina, where, hey, he's not the perfect size. He's not prototype. But what he can do is he can match up against tight ends. He can match up man-to-man -man against what running backs coming out of the backfield. Like Those guys are negators. I think that Jeremiah Wusukormoa fits that archetype. 
And I think the NFL wants to play more man-to-man coverage than ever before. And having the second-level defenders that you can keep in the football game as much as possible to play man-to-man, like a Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, I think is more valuable than it ever has been. I think the thing that stands out to me, too, when I watch them play is, you know, you see the athleticism. That's easy to spot. I think the thing that surprised me more than anything was his striking power. For a guy that's 210 to 215 pounds, his striking power, and not just – I mean, a lot of guys can get a 15, 20-yard head start and drill somebody. His ability to take three steps and drill somebody is is exceptional. And I think that's going to be something that you're going to see a lot of defensive coordinators look at and say, okay, yeah, he's not big, but it's kind of like the Jonathan Vilma, the 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 you know, the Deion Jones, these guys that aren't huge guys, but they have striking power, which means they'll be able to tackle running backs if they need to. They'll be able to physically take down a, a tight end in space, which you know, you get that's where you kind of get into those mismatches of if if you try to put your 240 pound linebacker on my back or my slot or my tight end, he he may be a great tackler, but he's never going to be in position to tackle. If you put a safety on him, that guy's not big enough or strong enough to handle him. So, I think that's something that has always stood out to me about his game. Is yes, he's 215 pounds, and he's never going to be a guy that you're going to want to be in the box taking on guards. You know, in in the B gap all day. But his striking power against ball carriers is really exceptional when you consider his size. And I think that you always talk about interior offensive alignment with this moniker, the ability and interior defensive alignment too, the ability to create power in such short spaces mm-hmm. and tight windows. For me, Jeremiah is able to create a ton of pop and a ton of power in a very short amount of space. And that obviously goes into his change of direction, his short area quickness. All those things are exceptional. I think what really helps Jeremiah also, even though he's not going to play the same role as a Darius Leonard for Indianapolis, but him coming out and telling everybody that he played at 215 pounds this year helps Jeremiah Wusukormo because you mm-hmm. see that it can be done. It's mm-hmm. scary just like off the top of your head saying, wow, an off-ball linebacker that's only 210 to 215 pounds. But now that we've seen it happen, it's now maybe not an outlier anymore. Maybe right. moving forward, this is just the stare, the the, uh, the archetype instead of being an outlier. And now it kind of paves the way. You talked about Isaiah Simmons. Also, Darius Leonard, I think, is in that conversation of guys that are changing how the NFL does things. That's the, that's the fun thing about following football. Here's my little small little tangent is what's going to happen is you're going to see guys like Jeremiah Wusu become the – you're going to see a lot of safeties get converted to, to these kind of players, and then the league is going to get smaller. And then in five to eight years, we're going to see offensive teams start drafting more running backs, more big linemen, you know, and, and you're going to start seeing more two tight end sets because say, hey, look, they're putting a bunch of midgets on the field, a bunch of 210 pounders. So let's just run it down their throat. That's what I love about the NFL, you know, is to cool. see this evolution of it. And it's going to take one team that's going to say, hmm, let's go get two tights and let's, you know, get a 225 pound back like Derrick Henry and let's just run it down their throat. You know, so if the Titans go out and win a Super Bowl next year with Derrick, with Derrick Henry running for 2200 yards, now all of a sudden, you know, the, the four, three linebacker is going to become Vogue again. And that's kind of the fun. And I think that's also for guys like you, that's got to kind of keep it fresh to kind of have to, to always be staying up with the trends of the league, because that's going to go into when you're projecting the draft, it's not just about looking at, I rank this guy number five. That doesn't mean he's going to go number five. It, mm-hmm. th- what are the trends? What are the needs? So er, teams are moving to this, which means they need more of that, which means we're going to see a lot of these guys get taken earlier maybe than normal. That's got to be kind of challenging for you in what you do, but also so I would imagine part of the fun of what you do. Yeah, well, I think I think it's definitely fun, me being like a younger guy still, because I, I mean, I'm a I'm a football junkie. You know, I have a coaching background too where I just love watching film and seeing different – schemes that are kind of 
evolving and becoming the norm of, of, of trends around the league. And I know that one thing that always stuck with me is Lance Zerline a few months ago of NFL.com. He on a podcast, he basically said like people all have scouting biases when they watch the game, it's what they fall into and that's what they Mm -hmm. become used to. Mm -hmm. It's being aware of those biases. So for me, it's just always being aware of, Hey, this is what I like. And this is where the NFL is, but it's not going to stay this way forever you know there's going to be Mm -hmm. evolution and there's also going to be a cyclical nature to a degree too like you're saying like we're going to get back to the power running scheme at some point like it's going to happen it's just being aware of what the trends are and how the game is evolving and try and my favorite thing actually brian i would say is trying to forecast what the next thing is like that's for me is what really is a lot of fun like i believe that over the next five years or so like we've already seen it to a degree every team is going to want that center fielder free safety that is going to, that has that insane range and everybody wants to play man to man underneath all the way across the board mm-hmm. and that's why I value a guy like JC Horn this year out of South Carolina the cornerback heavily because he's a guy that whoever the wherever the number one receiver is lined up whether they're trying to get him off the line of scrimmage or trying to get him on the line of scrimmage as an ex receiver into the boundary whatever it is he can go with that guy because he's experienced both inside in the slot and on the outside. They, that is a matchup negator. And for me, that is where the NFL is moving. And that is the most fun part for me is seeing it's kind of projecting where it's going to go because some things you can kind of project pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of things where you're just kind of keeps you guessing, which is a whole lot of fun. So I'm going to try to get you back on the show after the draft and we're going to kind of take a look at the 2022 Notre Dame prospects, but I'm going to interject Kyle Hamilton into that because of what you just said. That's why I think he's going to make a ton of money next year So much because he is to me, the prototype safety. If you can find a guy like him and they're rare, you want him because here's the thing. He could be that center fielder you're talking about. I don't know if there's a safety with more range than Kyle Hamilton and, and Alabama learned that. That the one you know, we talked in our last show that Alabama threw the ball beyond 20 yards once. No, we actually talked about, I think, off the air. Alabama threw the ball beyond 20 yards once, and there were two reasons for that. Reason number one is they were concerned about the Notre Dame pass rush. Reason number two is Kyle Hamilton almost picked off the one pass that they threw, and he should not have been there. You know, he there, he went insane when you watch that play develop in the all 22, you're like, that's a that's a big play, and then Adam and he almost and he had to kind of slow up as the ball was coming because he almost got there too soon. And you're like, there's not another, I don't know if there's another safety in the country that could have made that particular play. And, and the, but the other thing too, is he's six, four, 215 pounds. He can be that alley safety, that, that guy that can almost play a Jeremiah Lusu role as well. And so to me, it doesn't matter what defense you run, what coverage you run. Everyone's going to say, yeah, we can find a home for that guy in our defense. And that's why I think Kyle Hamilton's a guy that's going to be barring injury or him taking a step back, which I don't see him taking a step back with the way he works. He's a guy that is going to be in a very, very intriguing player heading into next year's draft. Well, he's somebody that, I mean, I joked about it on the podcast somewhat half serious though. I'll be very honest with you. Like when they're playing against Alabama and uh, Devonta Smith is in the slot and he's doing whatever he's doing. Like I'm almost to the degree where like, hey, if I if I had 10, 11 Kyle Hamiltons, I would be set to go because I would just throw Kyle Hamilton right there in the slot. And he would be that guy working inside out, not mm-hmm. Sean Crawford. Like he's your mm-hmm. matchup guy, no matter right. what you want him to do. And that play you're talking about where they ran, I think it was just like a, a little fake bubble wheel, right? Mm-hmm. And they were trying to hit Slade Bolton up the sideline. 
that play, because I think they were pl- playing some sort of cover three. It was like a match three type of look. And that closing speed for 6'4", 215, 220, like you're talking about, is insane. Like, I mean, there's mm-hmm. no word. And I can't quantify it really in words because you watch that. And you're like, wow, that was a really good play by the safety. And then it comes into your mind that that was six foot four, 220 pounds moving like that. And I'll be very honest, like this is hyperbole to agree. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But like Sean Taylor opened entered my mind immediately. And I'm like, I haven't seen a guy that big, that athletic move like that in so long. And I actually, I, I don't want to, didn't want to put this out too much, but I actually already graded Kyle Hamilton. Um, you know, he's obviously not draft eligible, but I just wanted to see how he looked on my grading scale. And I, I don't think I'm willing to put it out on air yet, but I will say that he graded out quite high mm-hmm. uh, to just put it lightly there. Yeah, he he really is an exceptional talent, and again, he's just a, a true sophomore. So his game is his game is still very much evolving. So he he's a very talented player. Um, when you look at the, let's go down and, and let's talk some big boys now. Okay, the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Let's start off with Dalen Hayes. We're going to continue the theme of versatile players. Right to me, Dalen Hayes is an intriguing guy. I saw that you guys on your uh, NFL Draft Bible. Um, which you can find, I believe it's uh, si.com backslash NFL backslash draft, I believe is how you guys can find your your website. Um, yep. You guys are part of the the SI Fan Nation brand as well. So you guys had Dalen Hayes listed as a 4-3 defensive end. I could see that. I personally believe he's more of a 3-4 outside linebacker, and I would imagine there's a lot of NFL teams having this same discussion, the same debate. Uh, how do you see Dalen Hayes best – Like. Can he play 4-3 end, number one? Can he play 3-4 outside linebacker, number two? And then the third part of my question for you is, Ryan, where do you see him having the highest ceiling as a player at the next level between those two positions? I think I think that Dalen could play either. I, I personally do prefer him in a 3-4 like you're talking about. But, of course, you know we're, we're talking through the scouting department. We're talking to the talking heads around the league. And I know that some people prefer him in a 4-3. 
Some prefer him in a 3-4. For me, Dalen, the versatility aspect, I think that really shows in that just having that conversation about it to begin with. Now, obviously, he was a guy that was recruited as an off-ball, right, as as Mm -hmm. an inside linebacker, and then he made that transition. I will say that he, for me, is a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's a Sam backer that is going to flex out, going to play a little more in space, be able to, to play from depth a little bit, but also be able to come on ball in passing situations and then, you know, affect the passer. What didn't really strike you on film, obviously Dalen was a guy that had a lot of notoriety and a lot of hype early and then kind of just fell into that backup role because, hey, there was a lot of talented players on the roster as well, right? Like Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem, a lot of talent. A lot of guys that are going to play on the uh, in the NFL one day. So he kind of fell into a backup role, and then he came back, unfortunately, for this year. And he had some flashes. You know, I, I feel like his best stuff was playing that overhang and being able to close a lot on some screens and some short flat routes and doing different things like that. But then he goes to senior bowl, and he dominates one-on-ones throughout most of the week. You know, and, and he's not a guy that won the weigh-in because you didn't expect him to. He measured in exactly how I pictured him. But mm-hmm. showing a pass rush profile, which was very up and down during his time at Notre Dame, I think helps him big time. But then also when you couple that with, hey, the last time we saw Dalen Hayes, he was dominating one-on-ones. But then when you pop on the film and he's doing a lot of different things for Notre Dame, that versatility to me is 3-4 Sam Backer playing outside, playing some on-ball, playing off-ball, playing some uh, some overhang. I think that there's so many possibilities for Dalen. I do think that he can play in a 4-3 because I think that you know pass rush is always very important to the next level. But I think versatility is what he brings to the table that evaluators like the most. You know, it's interesting. We talked in the offensive show about Ian Book and and what he sees in practice. The one thing about Dalen Hayes that I've always heard from talking to offensive linemen and and people associated with the Notre Dame offense is Dalen's been doing that his whole career. He dominates in one on ones. I mean, he just I've I've been told that since he was a freshman. It just never translated onto the field really until the second half of this of this past season is really, I mean, you he started to kind of ramp up the ability to get after the quarterback. We saw him with a big sack against against Clemson. He had a couple big sacks against Georgia Tech. Uh, you just kind of wonder, because look, this is a kid that played eight games of high school football. That's it. Eight games of high school football. And so I think the, the five-star ranking that he had was, I think, put more on him than he was ready to handle just from an experience standpoint. And so his game is interesting. And, and I also wondered too, Ryan, do you think his size has some automatically kind of pigeonholing him into a 4-3 uh, defensive end as opposed to watching, like you said, if you didn't really watch him at Notre Dame, which is understandable, I think when a lot of people popped on the film, they were probably watching number six or number 14. Uh, if you if you really start to focus on the film, you see this really versatile guy, he's a really good run defender, really good at setting the edge, really good in backside pursuit, good in coverage, can cover tight ends, can cover backs, things like that. And then you see him at the senior bowl and you're like, whoa, this, this guy's, you know, he's got a, a, a it's got to be expand. His repertoire needs to be expanded a little bit, but he's got the physical tools to be a really good pass rusher, really good burst off the edge, really loose athlete that can do spin moves and double moves that if he can kind of get coached up to do, I think that the fact he was so versatile in Notre Dame, there was no need to teach him an expanded pass rushing repertoire because you weren't going to ask him to rush a passer enough to where that was worth the practice investment. You know, does an NFL 4-3 team say, hey, we want to put him there and or a 3-4 outside linebacker will take a team won't take advantage of his versatility? But I often wonder if, you know, his size is something that maybe starts to to get 
some before they really dive into the film to kind of pigeonhole into, hey, he's this, he's an end, he's a four three end, as opposed to, I think his film tells a different story. I, I think the tough part is when you're talking about NFL football now, I mean, there's like one or two football teams that play base defense over 50% of the time, right? So even if I'm classifying mm-hmm. them as a 3-4 or 4-3 ends, like we're seeing across the NFL, the, I mean, you're, in, you're, you're on a, an even man front majority of the time. So 3-4, like you, you can say it out loud to yourself, but in reality – it is not the three, four of the, you know, it's not right. the Steelers of the nineties. And it's anymore. not Lawrence Taylor and, and uh, Carl Banks with the giants of people my age, right? It's a, it's a different deal, but I, I kind of feel like even as a three, four outside linebacker, when you're in your four down front, you're still going to need to be doing a lot of the things that he did as, cause he was a defensive end at Notre Dame. He wasn't an outside linebacker, but he never put his hand in the ground. He was, right. he, and I think that's kind of the, the new age usage of the three, four outside linebackers. You have to be able to rush the quarterback. But, you know, we saw from Dalen is he could rush the quarterback inside, outside. Some of his best pass rushes in his career were inside pass rushes where he was standing up over a guard. I believe that's the against Clemson in the November 7th. That's where he had his big sack is he just beat a guard. Um, and so, you know, I, it's just kind of having that versatile player. And we saw this a little bit, I think, from Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. I mean, there were times where they really had three defensive linemen and really in the game, the whole, the whole game. And, but they were bringing guys from all over, you know, and, and right. you know, and then it, it's just an interesting thing. Cause as you said, I think I read somewhere that like over 60% of the time NFL teams are in some sort of sub package. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's an, ins- I mean, it, your college football is getting to that point a little bit with some teams, but that's an insane number. I mean, so like you said, you're just not lining up in your, your, your two gap three, four anymore, and then maybe right. having a nickel package, but does that add value to a guy like Dalen Hayes that he can kind of be that versatile within those kind of that scheme versatility? I, I mean, I think so. Absolutely. I, I think though, what is really going to, I mean, for, so if, if this was me, if I was Dalen's perspective, mm-hmm. pass rushers get paid. Right. So like, I want to prove that I can be that guy, whether it's rushing out of a two point or a three point stance, whatever it is, I want to be that sack guy. Cause I remember like when, Connor Barwin was on the the Philadelphia Eagles for a couple of years, right? He had one insane year where he had like 14 or 15 sacks, but he was actually better the next year playing that Sam role in their three, four. And he only had like five sacks the next year, but he was just doing things against screen, playing a little overhang, playing off ball at points. Like he was doing a lot of versatile things that was actually more valuable to the football team than the year before. So, so I think that the ability to have everything and to be able to add the value to yourself, the more you can do is always better. But for right now, I think Dalen, the, the, what he really needs to prove is, Hey, I can be a pass rusher first. I can be a volume sack guy potentially down the road. I'm a guy that's just still scratching at the surface. Cause like you said, I mean, eight football games coming out of skyline high school. And now he's, you know, he was up and down a little bit, especially, you know, kind of sitting behind a couple guys after losing the starting nod, you know, early on in his career, so he's a guy that's still relatively inexperienced when you really think about it, which for NFL evaluators is both good and bad because they're going to think, hey, maybe we don't get the immediate return, but down the line, Dalen Hayes hasn't even scratched the surface, so he might be worth the investment. It might not be this year, but two to three years from now, we could be having some sort of high-volume sack guy, at least a guy that can contribute a ton on passing downs and give us that in- impact that we need. Where do you where do you rank him as far as draft range, and where do you think he goes in this upcoming draft? I I am a little higher on both the 
defensive end edge players coming out of Notre Dame this year than we are consensus in NFL Draft Bible. I would say that I have early day three grades on both the guys. I was on record on Locked on Irish, as I said, that I think I thought that at least one of those guys would push into day two consideration after the senior bowl. And I think, honestly, both of them, I know we are not getting, didn't get into Adi yet, but I think both of them did in different ways, a lot of service to themselves. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if both of them ended up going on day two somewhere because I think there's developmental potential to both of them. And then just for the people that aren't, aren't uh, draft Knicks like, like you are. And, and like, I, I'm a big, I love the draft. Uh, day one is first round. It's not like it used to be where it was just kind of one day and it's not even two days anymore. It's now three, three, four, right. Three or four days. Day one is round one. Day two is round three and four or two and three. Correct. Yep, and then two and three. Right. And so, seven. right. So that's the, that's the deal. So if he's a day two guy, he's a second or third round pick, which right. I think would, would be, would be the, the the top. I mean, that's the highest he's he's going to go. So you started to kind of to get into to Adi Takumba Ogundiji a little bit, and you know, he's an, a really interesting player. You know, complete opposite of Dalen Hayes in that he was a guy that Notre Dame flipped from Western Michigan. I think he's about two hundred fifteen pounds, six four. He's always been super long, uh, six four, about two hundred fifteen pounds. They flipped him from Western Michigan. He was just starting to get some D one looks. Pitt had offered him. I think Oregon had offered him, and then Notre Dame. Uh, this was actually Keith Gilmore at the time uh, went and got him. And he was part of that that vaunted 2016 class, which I believe is going to have four defensive ends from that class. They're going to end up being drafted into the NFL because Julian Ekwara, Khalid Kareem, Dalen Hayes, and Adi Takumba Ogundizi were all in the same draft, or the same recruiting class for Notre Dame. That was a 2016 class. Was another guy that was a, a really good backup for for multiple years. Uh, I remember the 2018 game against Clemson. Uh, Julian Ekwara got hurt. And came off the field, and it was a third down. Still in the first half, the game was still in doubt. And so they brought Adi Takumbo off the bench, and he sacks Trevor Lawrence and knocks him out of field goal range. You know, So he's always been kind of that flashy guy. Late in the 2019 season, he was Notre Dame's best defensive lineman by far. And, and again, well, Aquara was out. Dalen was out. Khalid Kareem was playing with, a, with on one shoulder. And they needed him to step up, and he stepped up. He had a huge game against Boston College, but they didn't stop there. He was really good against Iowa State. He was really good against Stanford. And I think he carried it over. He, to me, had one of the quietest, outstanding seasons I've seen in a long time at a place like Notre Dame. Usually when a guy's even decent, he gets way overhyped at a place like Notre Dame. We saw that on the other side of the ball for Notre Dame. Um But for him, it's just kind of like, you know, because he didn't have, I don't think he necessarily had the sexy tackle numbers or tackle for loss numbers. But to me, when I graded him out, Ryan, and, and I'm just going to give my thoughts. I want to hear what you, if you agree or disagree. I thought he was about as steady as you could be as a defensive end. His ability to set the edge against the run is tremendous. And we saw it all week at the senior bowl as well. And then he had a quiet seven sacks. I mean, when you look, you're like, I hand to one against Clemson, but like, okay, when did he have the other seven sacks? He had a quiet seven sacks. And, you know, I just think he's a really, really solid study player. What do you see from Adi Takumbo Gandiji? What are the traits that you like the most about him? What are the things that NFL teams do you think are going to be really attracted to him as a player? Well, I'll say first and foremost, we actually had Adi come on the uh, Locked on Irish podcast, and I will say just from a, uh, a person perspective, awesome young man. I mean, you could tell that he is a worker, to say the least. And, he, I mean, he won, the, he won the Senior Bowl the minute that he weighed in. Like, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. 
over six foot four, 35 plus inch arms. Like that's how you draw it up, man. Like that is well, just, I, I, let's let's put that into perspective because I believe Khalid Kareem had the longest arms of any defensive end at the combine last year. And I think he was like 34 and three eighths. Something like that. Yeah. Adi Takumba was over 35 inches. So almost a full inch longer than the guy who had the highest, another Notre Dame guy, the highest at the entire combine. So not just senior bowl where it's a lower number. The entire combine, Khalid Kareem had, I believe, the longest arms of all the ends. And then Adi Takumbo was significantly longer. That that is that is some impressive length. Now, here's my question. I want you to explain to people yep. why is that important for a defensive end? I mean, I mean, so we talked a little bit about it on the offensive tackle show. Like we're we're dealing with length on the edge in a lot of space. Like it's not inside an offensive guard or center where you're where you have help and you're in a condensed space. At offensive tackle, you're working on an island against some of these pass rushers. And for a defensive end that is like Adi, the ability to get inside of an offensive tackle, press, and then create separation at the top of the track. Like that is what you want. And that's the ability to really just use your length to your advantage and gain extension both in the run game and in the pass game. So that is, I mean, you always hear like the long arm, right? Like guys are getting in their body, they're long arm and dudes. That's why, because a lot of instances, one arm is longer than two. So the minute that you can get in the middle of an offensive tackle's chest or play half-man relation, you can get inside of him and you can keep him off your body. So when you have 35-plus inch arms like Adi has, then you're talking about gaining extension in the run and the pass game, and that is a hard guy to deal with one-on-one. Because I mean, that is the, that's the name of the game. It's a numbers game at the end of the day. Defensive ends are playing in a lot more space. They're in most times in one-on-one situations against offensive tackles if you're not getting chipped or there's not a running back that's keeping an eye out for you type of situations. But that's why the length is so important because you're working in a whole ton more space. Admit that you can gain a little bit of separation, gain extension, then it's a hard deal, a, te- a hard thing to deal with one-on-one. And for having 35-plus-inch arms, I mean, the minute I saw it, because I expected him to be, like, in the 34-something ballpark. It's mm-hmm. like you could watch him on film and see, like, the, I mean, the guy's a pterodactyl. Like, mm-hmm. he, has, he has that look to him. But 35-plus-inch arms is rare. So now mm-hmm. we're talking about rare length with a guy that had a nice season but has continued to get better and better as a guy that is growing into his body. And it wasn't perfect in Mobile at every rep, as it mm-hmm. shouldn't be. But you saw just the glimpses. And I think there's still a power profile that needs to improve with a guy like Adi. When you add that power profile to that type of length and the type of athleticism he has, then we're talking about a high upside guy. Like I want, I, I'm hopeful that Dalen Hayes can be a high-volume sack guy eventually. It's not as likely, though, as, a guy, as it is with a guy like Adi Ogundiji because he is still tapping into that potential. Mm-hmm. And he has the traits, the thresholds that you always talk about in scouting circles. He has that at a position – defensive end and offensive tackle specifically where it matters more than any position on the football field. Now I see him as a pure edge player, but I'm, I'm reading and you and I had this, I'm bringing this up because you and I had this conversation off the air. Mm -hmm. I'm reading person after person of, of draft analysts. And, and, you know, I should probably use air quotes for that one, but um, I'm seeing all these people talk about him being a defensive tackle. Um, explain to me where, cause he's 255 pounds. Now I actually think there's another level for him physically. I think he is a guy that probably could get up to 265, 270 at the next level. Right. But even then that's not defensive tackle now. And I'm not talking about a guy that on third and nine could move inside. That's a different deal, but I'm seeing people list him as a defensive tackle and then ranking him as a defensive tackle. 
a 6'4", 255-pound guy. Explain to me where that comes from. And because I, I just don't, I mean, these are draft analysts. Where, where does that something like that come from, right? Because I see you kind of shaking your head and rolling your eyes as I'm saying this because we're on the same page. Like, this is insane, but it's it's becoming a thing now. You had a guy say to you, well, that's what I'm seeing other people list him as. Well, first of all, that's lame. You know what I mean? Be your own man. But number yeah. two, what? I, defensive tackle? I, I, th- I think, I mean... <sighs> One, I don't think people are good at body typing to begin with. You know, they probably saw him rushing inside at the senior bowl and said, like, wow, yeah. he looks good inside. He looks good. But in reality, like six foot four plus a little and then some change at 255 pounds, like that's not playing inside. Ever. Right. Like that's and that, a, and that hurt him in the rushing. in the game. We saw that in the game. They he got some early down snaps at defensive tackle and he got driven off the ball. That's just right. that's not who he is. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking yeah. to him as a sub package rusher on third downs, yeah. like that's cool. Like yeah. I can get on board with that. I think that body typing is a big worry uh, problem. People don't really understand sometimes. They and honestly, I mean, I don't want to be a jerk here, but like I think some people probably haven't watched enough of him to know exactly what his role is and how much he weighs, and they probably haven't done their due diligence on that part. And then some people are saying like, oh, a three-four defensive end, he has that length. In theory, I understand where that thought process is going, but I mean. That I mean, Adi needs to be like six six and have substantial mm-hmm. amount more growth. Like he needs to be two hundred eighty plus pounds to be able to play that position. Like you said, I think he can get up to two hundred sixty five pounds. Mm-hmm. That's probably the max where I want him because at some point we talk about all these a- athletic gifts that he has. If we're putting too much weight on his frame, then right. you're taking away from what is the biggest selling point for Adi Ogundiji. So right. you don't want to put too much weight on that frame. I don't understand where that comes from. He's a pure edge guy that for me has some versatility to move inside on third downs. That is the you know, that, that is the projection for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we de- I definitely never want to see him on base downs playing inside. I don't think it's advantageous to what he does well, and I don't think it makes any sense from a schematic perspective. Unless you're playing a team that just doesn't even try to run the football. Uh, right. you, you know, I mean, maybe maybe then. But, you know, you you mentioned we talked about the size. And, look, Adi, can, Adi, Adi Dugumba Ogandiji, like any defensive lineman, could get up to 290 pounds. I mean, no problem. What we're talking about is what can you do what can you get up to while maintaining your level of explosiveness and right. and burst and 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 flexibility? The the problem is when you get a guy beyond what his body's capable of carrying from an athletic standpoint, what you start to see is he starts to lose some of those things. So the explosiveness, the burst, uh, the flexibility, the foot quickness, those things start to go because your body can only handle a certain weight. I mean, you could get a quarterback up to three hundred twenty pounds. He's not. He's going to play five plays, but he's going to. You know, uh, but so so that's what we talk about when we talk about the concern of how much more weight do you want to put on him where you start worrying about losing the athletic profile that makes him the player that he is. And And so that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I think that this is a good conversation for body type, and this is a big part of scouting. Mm-hmm. You need to look at a guy's body and see how much weight they could they could carry to be comfortable specifically. We're talking about skin tightness. We're talking about, like, how do they look in, in, the, in the lower half? How do they look around their torso? Like, the ability to gain weight is a big conversation in scouting departments. I know it's a big conversation right now with Devonta Smith because Devonta Smith, not to go off tangent here, is – from my understanding, what I'm hearing is he weighed in a couple weeks ago, and this is why he didn't weigh in at the Senior Bowl. He's 164 pounds, and that is troublesome, and that is worrisome. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, he can get up to 180 easy. Well, if you look at him, though, he's got really tight skin. He's mm-hmm. got a really thin lower half. Like, where is he putting that weight at, right? Like, and at some point, like you said, he could get up to that weight, but what makes Devonta Smith a special player 
with an extra 20 pounds on him mm-hmm. is going to start to deteriorate and to take away from what makes him a special athlete to begin right. with. So it's the ability to project how much is good weight for a player without taking away what makes him to begin with the baseline athlete that you want him to, to build off. I'd still take him. <laughs> I, I would take him if too. you can't, if you can't catch him, it doesn't matter how much he weighs. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you reach the press and he ain't there, it doesn't matter how much he weighs. So, um, but I mean, it is, it, it look when, and it's different than college because in college you can take a chance on a kid. If he doesn't pan out, you, you, you can offer a different scholarship kid every year. There's no value in a scholarship independent of other scholarship offers. You, you know what I mean? In the NFL, there's value to these draft positions. So, you know, that's why you're going to take it a guy at a certain spot. You know, I think of the the uh, kid that the the Raiders drafted out of Clemson a couple of years ago. He's a good football player, and 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 he had a good, a much better second year than his first year. But is he ever going to play to the level where that value was where he was picked? Those are the things that NFL teams have to think about when they're talking about taking guys. Is is the value of it? So. If Devontae, you say, well, Devontae Smith can still be a good NFL receiver. Okay, but is he a good NFL receiver that you would take with the third value, the the value of what a third pick is or the value of what an 18th pick is? And we see this all the time where you'll see a guy that 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 people say, oh, what a what a great story. This guy had a great year. And and you look at his numbers and it's like, well, he had eight sacks and 12 tackles for loss. And then they're saying this first round pick was pick number 15, who had nine sacks and 13 tackles for loss, had a an okay year. What's the difference? Well, one guy, the expectation is much lower because he was a fifth-round pick. The other guy was a number three pick in the NFL draft. So that's why these things are are important and why you have to really do your due diligence. It's not just like in college where you can offer four Scott receivers a year. You know, there, there's you miss, especially with the high picks, and, and there are certain positions where if you miss, you're you're screwed. If you miss, to me, at the at the premium positions, quarterback, defensive end, left tackle you're you're in trouble you can go find a six round tight end you know i mean we've seen a lot of tight ends turn out there aren't a lot of tom brady's when it comes to quarterbacks so uh that that's why we have those those conversations oh so so let's wrap up talking about i personally think barring as long as the medicals check out i my opinion again as a as a not not a draft expert but my opinion is i think all three of those guys we talked about will get drafted somewhere Adi Dakumba Ogandiji, Daylon Hayes, and and uh, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, barring the medicals checking out. The fourth guy is a, a bit more of a of a question mark for me, and I I don't think he is a, a, to me at, at this point a draftable guy. But we'll talk about the pro day in a second, and that is cornerback Nick McLeod. Now he had a he saved Notre Dame's defense in a lot of ways this year. If he doesn't transfer in, I'm I, I'm concerned about what Notre Dame's defense would have looked like this year at cornerback. Big kid, experienced veteran kid, tough, competitive, but there's just the athletic profile, Ryan. Talk to me about kind of what you see from Nick McLeod, not so much of what he was at Notre Dame because he was a good football player at Notre Dame, but how does that project to the next level where, you know, the position he plays, the top level athleticism is so much more important? Yeah, well, I mean, thank the Lord for Nick McLeod this mm-hmm. year because I can imagine what the cornerback room would have been like for Notre Dame without him there. I mean, yeah, he gave us just kind of a consistent feel at one position, right? Like he did an excellent job. As far as an NFL projection, I mean, he looks the part. He's got a nice size profile to him. He looks like that traditional press man corner, even cover three corner where like you can you can get a little excited about it. I, I really think that there's just a whole lot of limitations to him. You know, he's very tight doesn't have great 
quickness, short area quickness. He doesn't have the most flexible hips of all time. So I think that he's a really limited to a zone-based scheme where, hey, if you're playing cover three where you have your eyes back towards a quarterback or some cover two systems where, like, hey, eye discipline is more important than maybe your physical profile and being an instinctive player, like, he can get by. The good thing that Nick does have going for him is the last time that we are going to see him in the draft process besides for his pro day at the Hula Bowl, he had two interceptions, and he was the defensive player of the game, which is awesome. Yeah. That is wonderful. To and they see. weren't like Larry Smith in the Super Bowl interceptions either, where he was just standing there and the guy threw it to him. Like he made two really great. I think he, both of them were like him jumping routes and making plays. So they were, they were impressive. Ooh, let me go study some more tape of that type of plays, and that that's right. important to make those in that kind of environment. Oh, absolutely. Yep. It is. It's paramount because again, some limitations to this draft process for some guys, less of a resume building process. So how you can gain attention is what Nick McLeod did at the Hula Bowl. So it's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, you know, we do scouting seminars with Brian Baldinger and NFL Draft Bible. So Baldy was announcing the game, which was a lot of fun, just being able to watch him do that. And the Nick, the performance that Nick put out there was was outstanding. So it's nice to see. I just think that there is a lot of limitations to him. I don't think that he's mm-hmm. a coverage versatile player. Like there's, I mean, I do not want him in press or off man like i just don't want it because the minute that the guy gains a little bit of separation on him if he has Mm -hmm. a bad if he has a good release at the line he doesn't get good hands on him at the line of scrimmage maybe you know his feet are just a little slow to react then we're in some trouble if getting him in trail is not a good situation he needs to have good leverage on a player and he needs to have eyes towards line scrimmage i think that's where nick mcleod plays his best football I think that he's going to be a priority free agent. Like, I think that a team is definitely going to be interested in him. Could he sneak into the seventh? It's possible just because, hey, Mm -hmm. he's coming from Notre Dame. He played a bunch at NC State. He, you know, he had a nice performance in the all-star circuit. Hopefully he tests relatively well, even though I don't have high expectations for that area Mm -hmm. for him. So I just think there's a lot of limitations, probably designated as a priority free agent. But I think that so far he has made the most of his draft process to date. I think you said something that's very interesting. You said you don't have very high expectations of him at the pro day. Notre Dame's pro day to be in March. That's an interesting thing for me because that's going to be his opportunity to get drafted is going to be that right there. Because the thing is, and he doesn't have to necessarily run a blazing low 4-4 time because the expectations are so low. If he can have good agility, and I think that to me is, is what I'd be more concerned about as an NFL team than necessarily the 40 because – corners just don't open up and they don't just run straight lines. You know, it's more of a, you you know, this, you see on film, you see guys with great 40 times that are bad cover players because their ability to backpedal open and run is so bad that it, they basically play like a four, six and there's four, six guys. And this is why you talked about agility and foot quickness and being tight is there's four, five, five, four, six guys that can just pedal open and run. Like it's just a natural thing for them. They play faster. And so, to me, if he can show good agility times and good change of direction stuff and then run a good 40 time, I think that could get him sort of on some teams' draft boards because the expectations are so low. It's like last year, Troy Pride ran a 4-4 flat, and people were disappointed, rightfully so, because we were all expecting like a 4-2-8. Again, that expectation thing is so important because if the bar is set low and then you go out and, and, and surpass that, like Miles Boykin did that two years ago at the Combine. Nobody thought he was going to be the overall athletic dominance that he had at the combine. And to me, it it, it boosts the guy that had sixth round film into the third round of the draft. 
And so that's going to be big for him. We talked about a lot of guys on offense. The pro day is going to be super important for some of those guys. Javon McKinley, Tommy Trumbull. The guy on defense that the pro day is going to, to me, be almost as, as I would argue, as far as being able to find a home is Nick McLeod. I mean, the difference between him being drafted and him being a free agent is going to be what he does at, at the pro day. What are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it's the full scope of the workout, right? Like, I want to see what those short area numbers are. I want to see what those explosive numbers are. I want to see what he jumps. I want to see all everything, lower body explosion. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I really want to see when we get to positional drills, the line drill where, like, he's opening up and continuing to open mm-hmm. up, that's where you really see where that hip tightness is. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that because I know that he's a competitive player. I know that he has some size to him. It's about the hip flexibility because then if, yeah. if he if he goes there and he has some hip tightness, then people are going to start saying, hey, is he a safety? Can we work with him there? Is he physical mm-hmm. enough to do things in the box? What is the upside there? For me, outside of showing that you're a good enough athlete, it might come down to – and I mean, it, this usually does for – well, not usually. This does for fringe draftable players or not draftable at all. What is your mm-hmm. impact on special teams? That is going to be the right. biggest thing for a Nick McLeod and something to just keep an eye out for. But if mm-hmm. he can test just as a relatively good athlete with combined with the Hula Bowl uh, performance and the year that he had at Notre Dame, then we're talking fringe draftable. I just yeah. I, I, I just am watching him on film, just seeing some of the hip tightness. I just don't expect a good overall testing performance, which I think people are going to dock him a little bit. But if mm-hmm. he surprises there, then we're talking about potentially getting another uh, Notre Dame defender or the fourth fourth guy off the board. And that's kind of what, to me, a couple of years ago was the difference between Drew Tranquil being a fourth-round pick and Tavon Coney being undrafted. There were some off-the-field things that hurt Tavon, but I remember watching that that line drill you were talking about, and I, I was standing literally on the line, like watching them. They were backpelling away from me, and Drew Drew Tranquil is just – he's never off the line. He just – he had – I didn't surprisingly flew loose hips. He was, you know, was, you saw the former safety. I mean, he was opening and turning. He was staying right. Tavon Coney was zigzagging. Yeah. And that's not what you want. That tells me you're tight. You, you, when you open, your body's going to go here because you're tight. Um, Drew Trank was just right on that line. And that's the thing for Nick McLeod is can he open? And you, that's what I love about watching the NFL Combine too on TV is you see these guys, these corners that are like, doing I'm like oh is that the zigzag drill no it's not supposed to be <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. and so um that's big for nick and it, here's a question i have for you because there's always this thought that, that and i think it sometimes it can be misguided but i think in, in his case it can apply there's always this thought well if a guy's not athletic enough to play corner just move him to safety if he's bigger no that's wow. that's not how it works but nick mcleod is a guy that i would ask you if he tests well not great you know, but but well, do you think there could be some projectability of him being sort of a nickel defender, a safety kind of guy if the if the testing is you know is better than we think it's going to be? Because I'm I'm on the same page with you. I don't expect a great performance from him at yeah. the combine, but I'd love to be wrong because I was really impressed with Nick McLeod as a young man this year for Notre Dame, the character he showed was like you, you listen to people talk about him and those kind of things to make that kind of an impact in less than a year speaks volumes about who you are as a, as a, as a man. So I think he's going to do well there, but if he tests better, that's my question. Is there, is there some positional flexibility with him? If he maybe is a little more fluid and looser and faster than you. And I think he's going to be. So, I I mean, to, to, 
to start it off, I mean, there's a whole lot of different roles that safeties can have, right? Like, are we playing a two high system where a guy's playing split, split in the fields? Are we playing a single high system and cover three or cover one where like, hey, I have a strong safety that's playing mid hole or he's playing curl to flat. Like, is that what he's doing? Is he robbing to, to you know, to the boundary? Like, what is his role that he's going to fit into? I think that some teams will will think about it because just simply he's got the size measurables, right? Like he's not a smaller guy. He has some size to him. Could he play in the box? For me, when I watched Nick, and I, I don't know if you if you came away with this same feeling, Brian, I felt like in the run game he I, I wasn't very He is a lot more physical as a cover player against receivers than he is. And I think that was incredibly evident against Alabama. Yes, yeah. But he was never – I mean, I, I honestly, there were times that Bracey was more aggressive coming down in the run game than he was. Yeah. And so that's I'm, my concern with him is projecting to a safety. Because yep. I don't care, you have to be a good tackler. And so I was not in love with his tackling ability. I think he's good at, I think he's better at taking on blocks than mm-hmm. he is at making tackles. Right. From a physicality standpoint, if that, may, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure if you agree with that or not. No, I, I absolutely do. And I think that comes back to, we talked about length a lot with Adi, like the length of the cornerback position. I feel like people always talk about disrupting the catch point, which is obviously very important, but it's also getting off a box, gaining extension in the run game mm-hmm. and getting off. For me, I was not impressed by Nick as a run defender, and obviously, it's a little different from you know, hey, you're you're playing you're playing uh, you know just as a force player on the outside, and you're trying to get everything to go back in. Mm-hmm. Like I understand that there's very big difference as opposed to working inside out, running the alley. Like there's a very big difference, so maybe he would be better in that area. For me, I don't think he projects that well to safety, just based upon mm-hmm. what I see and what I think that he does well. And then if we're talking about him, hey, if he's a guy that needs to play near the line of scrimmage and needs to play in the slot at times, if he doesn't test well and he has limited hip flex flexion, like at that point, like you're playing a lot of man coverage anyway. So is that really with the role that you want him to play either? So I, I think that there isn't a ton of versatility, a ton mm-hmm. of projectability to him moving. I think he has to prove that he can stick on the outside, whether you're, I mean, if you're playing a field boundary type of defense, which a lot of NFL defenses don't really run, they play just left or right corner most of the time. But Mm -hmm. if you're to a a team specifically that likes that, Hey, we're going to throw that big physical guy into the boundary that needs to be able to be physical. And he's going to be in man one-on-one in a ton of situations. Like if he could show that he could be that guy, then I can get on board a little bit if he tests relatively well. But I just don't think that he has the traits to be that safety type player that I think could be exposed in a lot of situations. See, Ryan, that's why I I ultimately don't think he's going to get picked because I I think the same things that keep him from projecting to safety are the same things that I don't think project well to special teams. I I I don't disagree. I mean, that block destruction, that ability to be fast downfield, to be able to use your length and size to your advantage, I don't see those traits. And I don't see those traits on special teams. I don't see those traits necessarily. I think he's really good at coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the college level, uh, but he's but the problem is is he's he the the physical traits that don't get exposed as much in college are going to get exposed every single day at the NFL level. Uh, Notre Dame did not play a lot of great receivers, and when they did, he wasn't often matched up against them because a lot of those teams would move them away from him. He'd be in the slot or they'd be field receivers. He was almost purely a boundary receiver, um, you know. And, and he, but he got beat a couple times this year. Not not a lot, but there weren't a lot of teams that had the ability to beat him. And to be honest with you, he didn't get beat as much because of the guys we were just talking about earlier. <laughs> you know, I mean, being able to put pressure on the quarterback. So uh, I think he's going to have to really blow it up at the pro day, like just crush it at the pro day to be drafted in my view, because he's going to have to show me a level of athleticism that we haven't seen. But 
I just like Alohi Gilman. You could say if you didn't think Alohi Gilman could play defensive back in the NFL, he was still going to get drafted because mm-hmm. somebody's going to look at him and say that guy is going to be a special teams captain for ten years. Ace. Um, and, and I think he can play safety, but I'm saying like even if you didn't, there that was a guy that you thought he was, somebody's going to draft him. Right. Uh, Julian Love brings some of that value. Troy Pride brings some of that value. I don't see that with Nick McLeod. Um, I don't like saying it because, like I said, I re- I'm really quite fond of him. I, I mean, he saved Notre Dame's defense in a lot of ways this year by coming over. I mean, it was – and I've never heard anything bad about him as far as how he conducted himself. But just as a – this is purely a football thing. Mm-hmm. I just don't see a guy that I say it, that's an NFL football player. If Jalen Elliott's not an NFL football player, a draftable NFL player, then I don't think then I don't think Nick McLeod is either. Yeah, well, I hope for Nick's sake that he doesn't run a four eight like Jalen did. Yeah. But you know, it's uh, I, I mean, I, I'm right on the same page with you, yeah. Brian. Like, I, I wish mean, I heard speaking. Of, I want to interrupt you real quick. I talked yeah. to a lot of people at Notre Dame, but they were shocked by that. That is not I, what he I, ran I, at Notre I, Dame. I was, I was shocked too. I thought he was. Yeah. I thought it was a mid four five guy. Yeah, like I, I was. I mean, he ran slower than a low high Gilman. I, I, yeah. I could not believe that. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't find yeah. it because he doesn't play that way. I mean that was yeah. the weird thing, but no. To, but anyway, continue with your point about Nick. But that was just the the weirdest the, and it ruined what was an otherwise good combine for Jalen. I thought he looked really good in drills, and yeah. but that four eight man, that's just that, that's that black mark on a DB that just there that's not going away. So anyway, you you before I interrupted you, you were gonna you were gonna talk a little bit more about Nick McLeod and and just sort of that projection and those kind of things. Yeah, well, I think when you get down to the fringe draftable players into the UDFA, the guys that stick are the versatile players that can contribute on special teams. So we've kind of painted this picture here now that if Nick McLeod is a guy that is just a boundary corner, can't do much else in the defensive secondary, can't play nickel potentially, probably not a safety, and he doesn't bring a ton of value to special teams, at least none that we have seen, then how is he going to stick? At that point, I mean, I don't want to say that he might need to find another league, but like it, it, football might not be in the cards for him. Maybe he's a CFL guy. There's other developmental leagues that are, mm-hmm. you know, taking place. XFL is coming back for the hundredth time. So we'll see if that is in the cards for him. I just think that not only is he a very long shot to get drafted, he's probably not a guy that has the desired traits and desired right. versatility to stick long-term. Right. Cause Dante Vaughn made it with the whole year with the chargers, but Dante Vaughn was a much better athlete than Nick McLeod. In yes. my view, I, I think Dante Vaughn with a different situation would have been a much better college football player without the injuries. And there's just some other things that, that worked against him. But you know, there's a lot of NFL teams that were attracted to Dante Vaughn because they see six, three and athletic, Nick okay. McLeod's just not that. He's just not that kind of athlete, and so I think that's going to hurt him. But I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he ends up getting picked and gets an opportunity to to play at that next level and 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 live out the dream that we all wanted to live out when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know. So here, wrap up here. We're going to do predictions. So we're going to go predict the round that okay. you think the three front seven guys for Notre Dame are going to get picked in we're going to have you on again before the draft so you're going to get a chance to kind of as you do more evaluations and do more research but this so this is just now i'm not going to throw this back in your face on april 29th if it doesn't come true but as of now as of february 16th uh your prediction for the the range for where those three guys are going to go i i i think that jeremiah is going to go in the first round i would be surprised if he did not Dalen Hayes, I think, is going to go somewhere in the third rounds. I am not, mm. I'm not, I don't have much conviction behind mm-hmm. that one as much as I do with Jock, but I will say that I think there is a reality where he's a third round pick. Mm-hmm. Adi, I feel the same way. I think he's a late third, 
early fourth round selection that is based more on traits than anything. He's mm-hmm. not a guy that I think is you're going to expect a ton of in 2021, but down the line. And then Nick McCloud. Uh, oh, I wasn't including Nick McCloud, right? UDFA. You can if you want. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to kick him while he's down. You know, we yes. kind of already, let me ask you a question real quick. Well, how does a guy like Romeo Aguara kind of doing what he's done in the NFL impact a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromo? I mean, not, I'm sorry, uh, Adi Takumba Ogandiji, because both young for their age. I mean, I think Romeo was like 20 when he graduated from Notre Dame after four yeah. years. Um, and he's kind of grown into being a, a pretty darn good NFL pass rusher and, and, and he's a versatile pass rusher. You know, he is kind of what we, when you say, well, what's your NFL comp for, for Adi Takubo? It's Romeo Okwara. It's a guy that can play the edge, but also in nickel packages and in passing situations can line up over a guard and rush the quarterback. Do you think a, his success could could maybe do you see that like that sort of gr- developmental growth where maybe in year one year two he's not a great player but by year three year four this is a guy that you're you know Giants are probably wishing I wish we wouldn't have cut that guy <laughs> we we could probably still use that guy yeah I, I mean Romeo has done an obviously an exceptional job and body type wise I mean they look pretty similar. Obviously Romeo's a little more rocked up than, than mm-hmm. Adi is currently, but you know, we're talking about projection here. So I think that he could easily get up to the 270 pounds or so mm-hmm. 265 that Romeo plays at. So it definitely helps his cause because you're seeing a guy that came out of the same program, similar body type. That was a projection piece down the line a little bit, a younger player, like you said. So I think it definitely does play into his favor. I think it honestly, though, outside of just using Romeo as an example, I think that it plays into his favor just in general. The the mm-hmm. um, the when you put when you map out where he became into Notre Dame to where he ended, and just see kind of the stops along the way in general, that developmental moniker is going to get slapped on him a little bit mm-hmm. because you see the progression year in and year out that a guy like Adi did have, and I think just in in general when you're talking about that position and how important traits are that teams are going to get excited about that. And in a lot of cases, they're going to bet on the upside and bet on the long-term more than the short-term, you know, turnarounds of what they're going to be, what they're going to be getting. And honestly, in the third round and later, a lot of times that is the instance, you know, first and second round guys are expected to come in and play relatively early. When you start getting into those latter stages, it's scout. That's what scouts make their money is on day, uh, late day two and and into day three. Like that's where they find those, those players that, Maybe you weren't expecting to make a huge impact, but that's where the projection aspect of the the evaluation process really kicks in. Ryan, I appreciate you coming on with me, man. I, I want to definitely do this again. I love talking NFL draft. I like talking NFL draft with people that uh, that know what they're talking about, and I've really enjoyed your work. And we're glad to have you you guys on board with us. So uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the Irish Breakdown podcast. And if you have not listened to the Locked On Irish podcast, give it a listen. Uh, Ryan and those guys do a really good job. I've been on that show a couple times and I would not go on a podcast if I didn't think they were, they were good at what they do. So, um, certainly have appreciated them having me on and I appreciate you being on and, and looking forward to doing this again. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, uh, subscribe and hit the notification buttons. And as always check out irishbreakdown.com for all the latest Notre Dame news and analysis. So Ryan, thanks for having us on, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Now get back to the tape. <laughs> we'll do Brian. Thank you so much. All right, take care.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.